This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome everyone. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio. Honored to have Sean Gelfelin. Hi, Sean. How you doing, Carm? I'm great, man. Automotive Magic. How long have you been doing that? Automotive Magic. We uh, founded uh, and started that place up in uh, 2003, April Fool's Day. My big joke to myself, I got my own business now. Now what? 2003. I mean, that's kind of an anniversary. Just 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. Your April Fool's joke there. <laughs> so uh, two places, Kenville and... Lake Opaca. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. You also uh, work with lifecalibration.com. Yep, work with uh, Chris Lawson and uh, also got Magical Solutions going, which is a little bit of a high-performance team coaching uh, program we put together for uh, shop owners that want to elevate their team's performance. So a lot of big stuff's been happening the last uh, couple of years. It's really exciting. Napa Auto Care Centers are recognized as an integral piece to what sets Napa apart from the competition. And the Napa Auto Care brand? Well, it continues to be fully integrated into the national marketing strategy by optimizing targeted media in local markets and in proven channels. Don't forget, Napa Auto Care Centers have an online presence on Napa Online with the Auto Care Locator Tool, generating millions of views per month. If you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on America's largest network of parts and care, talk to your Napa Auto Parts sales rep today. Always great to have someone on the show willing to give up some really cool information about themselves. I call this show 20 questions in 30 minutes. 20 questions in 30 minutes. Better hurry up. All right, buddy. So how'd you decide to become a shop owner? Uh, so shop owner, this started way back when I first started working on cars in the garage with my dad and always wanted to do it. I had a couple of bosses through the years. One particularly, I was uh, working out of Midas. You know, he kind of looked at me one day, said, you know, you're going to have your own shop someday. I was always willing to jump in, grab the phones, help a customer, take somebody home, whatever it was, just to kind of be a part of the service side of it. And uh, after that, I worked a couple other places and uh, I guess finally pushed me over the edge is really interesting. I didn't discover it till about 10 years after I was in business working on a little bit of self-development, but uh, I was working for a guy and I was dating a girl just 20 years ago, right? 20 plus years ago. She was going away to college up in uh, Connecticut. And she's like, you know, I don't, I don't believe in long-term relationships and I'm going to get my MBA and you're just a mechanic. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to kind of break this one off. And I was like, are you kidding me? And we had a lot of fun through the, uh, you know, the summertime and I thought we had a good thing going. I kind of looked at that and I was like, man, I am just a mechanic. I turned around and whatever went off in my mind and said, you know what? It's time. I'm going to open up a shop. I'll show you. And, uh, yeah, I didn't talk to that girl for about 10 years when I, when I realized, you know, what it was that had me push over the edge and quit where I was at. There was some unethical stuff going on. I really didn't enjoy the place I was at. And I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. When I was doing some, you know, self-development program, like a little retreat over a weekend, I was like, what really pushed me to go? And I realized it was that girl that I dated 20 years ago or 10 years ago at the time when I discovered this. And, uh, I reached out and I said, Hey, I, Facebook, I'd like to uh, have a conversation. And I let her know that she was what pushed me over the edge. Turns out um, first marriage didn't work out so well. And uh, now I'm actually married to a girl that kicked me over the fence to uh, open my own shop. So it's pretty awesome. You're married to Victoria. Married to Victoria. Thank you, Victoria, in so many ways. <laughs> I love it. Looking back through all the different things that happened, it was like, wow. A couple of times she popped up and we just never really connected after that. I was kind of like more still in the whole mindset of like, hey, yeah, I was just a mechanic. Now what? Right. So many things to unpack here. I'm just a mechanic. I mean, you didn't accept the fact 
that you were just a mechanic. You had something else deep inside of you that that pushed you. And then when you came back to realize what was my motivation and it was Victoria, deep inside, you never really knew it until someone you know, asked you, how many other people in our industry, Sean, have this deep-seated something that motivated them to become an entrepreneur shop owner? Wow. I bet you've met a lot of them and probably have helped them by telling this story. There's always a lot of things that uh, then when you look back and you kind of do some discovery on uh, what really made me do it. I was always afraid to do it on my own. What am I going to do if it doesn't work? And that fear of failure, that just like was that one thing that popped me over the edge and said, I'm jumping over the fence. The whole fear thing is huge in life, period. It doesn't matter what it is that you want to do. I don't care if it's sports, whatever. There's a fear factor that many of us have to come up and over. And so did you ever have a mentor to help you with any of that? I've had quite a few, three years. I always uh, tended to pay attention to, you know, people that had what I want or have been where I'm at. I've always been a, a really good listener. So uh, I put myself in, a, in areas and or uh, I'd say environments where there's people that are better than me. And uh, I always kind of looked up to that and was always a big help and uh, just befriending them and really listening attentively and taking advice. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. You can always make your own choices. But uh, I got a lot of really good input from previous owners that, uh, that I worked for, from other shop owners locally. My dad was a tool salesman for 40 years. So he drove around one of those Cornwell tool trucks. So the relationships that I had with some of the local guys, even around here was a lot different than, uh, than I would say just some shop owner walking off the streets. Like, Hey, my dad's a Cornwell guy. I love the idea of listening. And so much of what I do when I listen is I store the thoughts that I have about what I just heard. And I never know when I'm going to pull it back or it's going to motivate me to take something off the shelf from years ago. And say, you know, that wasn't really a bad idea back then. So, wow. Mentors, yes. Listening, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Wow. Do you do anything for fun or you just work, 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 work? Let's see, fun stuff. I love uh, anything that burns fuel. Quads, snowmobiles, fast cars. Uh, I've recently got into aviation. Those are not miles per gallon, but the miles or gallons per hour. So depending on how hard you stay on a throttle up in an airplane, it, uh, it lasts a little bit longer. Okay. I am so curious about this because I love flight and how it all works. I don't know enough about it. I envy people who have their license and who fly. Okay. So do you own your own plane yet? Not yet. Okay. So you rent something or you're going to go up for an hour, whatever, however it works. What do you got to pay for the fuel? Uh, well, fuel is about five fifty, six bucks a gallon. It fluctuates just like automotive fuel. During COVID, it was a little high, but... Uh, and I, it's a usual Cessna burns around eight gallons an hour when you're up there. So, so you got about 40 bucks in the fuel, about 40 bucks in fuel for an hour. That's not bad. Usually planes, you can rent from a hundred to 150 bucks an hour as well. So you rent the plane, you pay for the fuel. Can you fly on your own or you have to have someone with you? So I can fly on my own. I've uh, soloed, but I uh, have not gotten my certificate yet. So I'm not going to take anybody else in the, uh, in a plane with me other than an instructor. So it's really not that expensive of a hobby. It's not. Now there's a lot of uh, other ways to uh, rent planes. You can become you know, a member of a club, rent the plane by the hour. You're only renting it for the hours that you fly it. So if you wanted to take it someplace and obviously you'd end up having to pay to park it at a uh, you know, hangar or something like that, I'll have my own someday. Hey, when you own your own plane someday, just let me know so that I could say that I know someone who owns a plane. <laughs> actually, I actually do know a few. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets me out of bed in the morning? Well, I uh, love getting up and uh, seeing what the day has to offer. Always new lessons to learn. I love creating opportunities for other people to thrive. So 
always kind of looking at how we can elevate everybody else's performance all the time. And uh, that just drives me watching people succeed. Give me an example. Most recent. Oh, let's see. Most recent, uh, I'd have to say we've really made some ground with our, uh, our management team this year and uh, given everybody an opportunity to, I would say, own part of the business would be more of a, a profit sharing uh, entity and really having them come in. And uh, we actually had two other shop owners with my manager there and we broke down our income statements up on the whiteboard. And we really started to look at how each one of us were managing our businesses, numbers side by side, and really kind of came up with a couple of different adjustments to make in, in our shop and in the two shops that were there as well. And I think when they all went back to their shops and my manager's now running my shop as if he owns the place, it's kind of really cool to have them dialed into the numbers, knowing where we're at, what we got to do to change. And, and just, I think when people see an opportunity where they can use their, their superpower, their brain, the way that it works for them, as opposed to trying to learn something, usually you can crack something open there. It really makes a difference. So uh, we've set some goals for this year. And I think uh, we've got the three shops. We're, we're racing against the time up to December to see where we all land. Hey, have you visited the Napa Auto Care member site lately? Well, since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all the Napa programs, promotions, member benefits, and business building tools to help your business thrive. Some features to the member's site include never miss an update, stay current with notifications and announcements on the homepage, and view the dashboard featuring your shop's financial status. Also take advantage of cost-saving member-exclusive promotions and a faster automated 24-24 peace-of-mind warranty submission process. Submit re-repair claims directly on the member's site and easily check the status there as well. Now, Typically, the claim is settled and EFT or credit card payment is sent within 48 hours. Turn searches into a new customer with a referral tracker. Now learn more about how a consumer Napa online search for your shop can generate new customers at no additional cost to members. Use this popular customer tool to evolve your marketing strategies and to get the most business value. Own more than one Napa Auto Care? Link all your facilities to one login and access all the facilities to one user. You can also access the Shop Napa Helm or Pro Office website directly. You can also submit a pro-image free look for a sneak peek at how you can co-brand your locally known name with a nationally recognized Napa brand. Also, submit online ASE certification renewal and test reimbursements. You also get exclusive access to dozens of industry-leading programs and solutions. Now, if you're a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal and take advantage of these many member benefits today. Now, if you're not a Napa Auto Care Center, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. I got to do a, a shameless plug about where the money goes. Anyway, my downloads page on the website has this great download of where the money goes. It's a, about four or five slides. It's actually got a profit and loss statement there. It may not be yours, but it's a great way to start to explain what a PL looks like and actually where the money goes. Patrick McHugh is who did it with me a while back. I have a link to the episode and a link to the download on the downloads page on my website, remarkableresults.biz forward slash downloads. Okay. Any great advice that you may have gotten over the years, Sean, that you still consider gospel today? Two of them. Fear. 
stands for false evidence appearing real. Another one is really uh, my job as an owner or CEO is to make sure I'm not needed. And sometimes that becomes a full-time job. So always be willing to step in and do everything you can to make sure that you're not needed by empowering your people to run with the ball. It had to be a big move to uh, try to figure out how to get up and over fear for you. Oh, jumping out of planes helps. <laughs> Would probably do it for me too. So you, you do parachute? I've, eight times I've uh, I've jumped. Yep. Thinking about learning how to do that also. So I love flying, right? I love being up in the air. I love the view from standing up and above. I uh, look at our business like from 30,000 foot view, of what's going on and really kind of checking it out, right? So cool metaphor. Hey guys, I have landed and I saw something completely different than I never expected because <laughs> I was thinking about the business from up there. Not that you would be up at 30,000. What do you get up when you jump? Is it eight, nine, 10,000 feet? 14. 14. 13, five, 14,000. Yeah. Wow. You can't stay there for very long or you end up, you know, losing all your oxygen. But once you're out of the plane, you drop pretty quick at 120 miles an hour coming at the ground. I have a good friend who, uh, who he's retired from jumping, but he, unbelievable stories he would tell me and uh, good stuff. They would get in these parachutes and they would land at stadiums and, and events here in Western New York. Read any great book recently? Oh, I'm always kind of doing two or three at a time, but one that uh, has really uh, stuck out for me with that question is um, Hero on a Mission by Donald Miller. Gives you a little perspective of, uh, you know, how you may be acting and or being during the day as well as your employees. It breaks the human context down into four areas, the hero, the villain, the victim, and the guide. And I tend to, you know, as an owner, I've always wanted to be the hero and jumping in and helping out and getting the answer or whatever it is, or solving the problem with the customer. And uh, now kind of more regressing to that guide role and getting them to be the hero, creating heroes below me. And also being able to pick up when somebody's maybe playing that victim role, like, oh, you know, and, and or the villain. Sometimes you got to be the villain too, to kind of like poke somebody and get them moving, right? We tend not to digress uh, to into each and every one of those all the time, but I think really staying towards the positive side of the guide and the hero versus the negative side of the victim and the villain, uh, we can look at our lives and really kind of fit one of those four into everything that goes on all day long. And it's neat to be consciously aware of that as it's happening. Yeah, Donald Miller wrote Storybrand that I read, but I'm not sure I read this one. Was this a later book after Storybrand? Yep, it was after Storybrand. And he also did uh, Business Made Simple was another good one that we went through. It actually frames out a business in the context of an airplane. Absolutely. Read that one. Donald Miller, great author, great author. Uh, I know if you go to the books page on our website, you'll find Donald Miller's book there. Hero on a Mission. Hero on a Mission. How does one start to build a strong business culture? Because we talk about it all the time. It's, I think, a, a fearful and a daunting task for many. Yeah. And I think uh, the big shift for me when, uh, when I went from the small shop where I started in 03 in a 2,000 square foot shop to the bigger shop in 2009, when I had to double the staff, it was a big learning lesson for me. You know, I'd had a really good culture because there was only three of us. It was easy to have a culture. And uh, when you got to double the staff and you start putting people together and they may not have the same beliefs, we've gotten way better at hiring nowadays. But back then it was just like, hey, you can fix a car, come on in. It was a lot of work trying to get everybody to, to rally up and be on the same team. But I'd say the biggest thing for creating a culture is from the top down and you being authentic with your people and letting them know what's going on inside your head instead of be, being pissed off about it. And if somebody leave tools laying around, air hose on the floor, I'd just get mad and be like, they don't care about the place instead of saying, hey, you know, as I walked through the shop today and I saw the air hose laying on the floor, this little voice went off my head and said, 
you guys don't care about the place. The hose is on the ground. Somebody could drop something on it. And just being able to express and share your thoughts in a way that's not a, an attack or make somebody feel like you're pissed off at them or whatnot. You know, it's, I guess, really be authentic with your feelings. Well, authentically, it's costs, it's safety. I mean, those are things I think you can talk about and help build that kind of safety and cost containment structure. I got to ask a very important question. Here I am, a shop owner, and I have three people. I am so small, I don't need a culture. My answer to that, and I, I can't wait to hear yours, is you cannot afford not to have one. And it is a perfect time to start building it. 100%. You know, when it was small, you don't really recognize, and especially me being new in business with having three people, which I'm included in one of those, right? So there was only me and two other people. It was really, uh, it was more of like a friendship. And to have uh, a team of three people, yeah, there's sports that you need one person on the team, right? And then there's sports where you need 30 people on the team. I think the more the personalities uh, start to pile into the funnel, you really recognize who people are. Some people can say they're coming to work and leave their home life. I don't believe that at all. It's like, we're all part of life. You're not going to leave something at the door when you come in here. But uh, I think the support, the culture that we've, you know, created at Automotive Magic and Magic Blue and Rubber, our core values, our service, trust, relationships, integrity, value, and excellence. And when you can live into those every moment and know that you're there or when you can have your team point out when somebody's not living up to one of those expectations, I think that's when the culture really starts to take off is when it's managed not only by the owner or the manager in charge, it's managed by the entire team and it becomes one. Let's stay on this topic just for an extra minute. My question to you is, how do you start when you're really small? And I just want to start the dialogue here. You get up in front of your people and you tell them your story. And maybe many of them don't know where you came from. You know, the story of Victoria is an example, right? Here I am. Here's my story. And on top of that, let me tell you my vision I didn't start the business if I didn't have a vision of where I expected it to be. So that's down the road. It is now and down the road. And to your point earlier about the values, to me, if you could start that with your people, not heavy all in one big hour meeting, but start with story, start with vision, the next meeting, start with values and congeal that. Put that as my grandmother said, put it all in the pot and we got sauce at the end of the day, right? And it cooks. Give me an idea how I, I would start. I would say you first got to visualize how you want it to be. It's your shop. Then you really got to surround yourself with people who believe the same way of life that you do. And I think that's really where the rubber meets the road. Um, if you're bringing people on board that don't believe in it right out of the gate, you're not hiring really well. And I think that's, that's where I was going when I said we've gotten better at hiring these days because we share our core values on an interview. Is this something you can align with? We ask questions that would tie those potential candidates into do they really believe what we believe when it comes to taking care of people? It's really evident when you start asking questions, the way people answer, it's got to be good at listening. I think we talked about that earlier. Yes, we did. So, okay, every business today, no matter how big, how small, needs a client experience officer, a CXO. And we know that you can't hire one, but everyone has a role of making sure that the client's experience is number one. I, be, I do believe that in the top five strategies of 2024 is going to be the client experience because competition is going to get tough. The economy is in whatever shape it is in for people. They may not have the kind of money we've expected over the last two to maybe two and a half years that they had. So experience, what are you guys doing about that? Well, uh, we really focus, especially when somebody new comes in to find out what they need, expect and want from us. And what they need, expect, and want from the vehicle that they're bringing in. I think those are uh, 
important. We call it the new way of doing business. NEW, needs, expectations, and wants. It works. Even some of your older clients, when they come in, asking them, say, hey, we're, we're working this whole new program out. We got these DVI, digital inspections, and we're really doing our best to make sure that we're serving you the way that you expect us and want us to as your service facility. And we also want to make sure you get what you need, expect them out of your vehicle. So we're here to more educate uh, you on how to get there. So how do you build strong relations with clients? Is it this, the need, expectations, and wants? Just being a, a, there for them. You know, sometimes even uh, they come in and taking notes about their family members, their dogs, their animals, when they come in the door and really remembering and having something to jog your mind of, hey, you know, Mr. Joe's got a dog named Fluffy. Ask him how Fluffy's doing. Sometimes you might ask a question that could get answered and like, oh, Fluffy's not with us anymore. And you feel like, oh, oh man, wrong question today. But, uh, you know, just being a, being a part of their life, I think, is, uh, is what's there. Having them become part of the family. Welcome with open arms. Can you be a great leader if you don't like change? That's a good question. If you're not changing, I don't think you're, uh, you're leading much. I would have to say no, of my personal opinion. So how's your business changed in the last couple of years? Oh, gosh. Change, it just happens instantaneous. I'd say the biggest one, 2021, we had a manager running a day-to-day operations. I got a call on a Sunday from his uh, his girlfriend. She didn't know he was planning on asking her to marry him. She gave me a call and said, hey, you got to get over here quick. Steve is blue and cold. And I said, what? That call on a Sunday morning and you lose your manager that's running a day-to-day operations, building a house and opening up a second location. For me, it was just like, oh my God, what do I do? And I was also going on vacation with my family uh, two weeks uh, down to Punta Cana. So all this stuff landed right in front of me. And I got to tell you, the relationships that we only with our people. Everybody stepped up. A friend of mine, Russ from Russ's Wrench in uh, Clinton, New Jersey. He's been on a podcast with you before. Uh, he actually came up and ran my shop for two weeks so that I can go on vacation with my family. And I uh, left his shop there and he's got a good crew that was, uh, you know, had him able to do that. That was a, probably the biggest change for me. And uh, where I felt like I was going to fall back into having to do it all, my mindset right there said, nope, we're going to find the right person. And we were able to hire uh, a gentleman within a few weeks. Albert, he's uh, really putting up both of our locations better than I am. And he's doing it all. And, uh, you know, having everybody collectively picturing what we want and that visualization of what does a manager look like to bring in to not only complement what Steve was able to do, but to even give us up to that next level. And uh, just having him show up was huge. And then changing our leadership structure and having everybody kind of pull together. That really was what proved to me that our culture was really strong and welcoming to new people that believe what we believe and how to service people. And uh, it's really, that was a huge game changer. I could tell in your voice, I could tell in your posture that you survived it, you toughed through it, but you learned a ton probably to rely on your people. I mean, you probably attacked the challenge via team. Wow. Huge. If you had a superpower, baby, what would it be? Superpower? Love. Okay. If you needed and wanted an instant skill, what would that neat new skill be? Looking back when I first opened the shop, I had this dream of maybe uh, doing some magic tricks for like kids' birthdays. It was one of those things on the side. I was playing around with card tricks and stuff. So if I could pick that up instantly and not have to go through all of the time to play with the cards and really learn it, I would want to, uh, I would want to learn how to do professional magic. Like the Matrix, plug the thing in the back of my head and uh, now I know how to do it. That'd be fantastic. I got to tell you, you know, you're hitting that's some really buzz things for me, the flying thing and, and the magician thing. 
My challenge every time I see a ma- magician up close, you know, up close magician, not the ones on TV that you can't see all the whatever. I'm always watching their hands and I'm probably doing the wrong thing. There's probably other things to be looking at. I, I find it fascinating that the dexterity of so many uh, magicians is, is just unbelievable. And it, I guess like singers, like sports people, they have to practice, 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 practice. All right. A gross margin hack for us. Gross margin hack. It's not, I wouldn't say it's really a hack, but it's something to keep your uh, front end conscious of where your margins are at. On every ticket, it's a really easy way to do is uh, we grab our cost of parts for the ticket once the estimate's written and we multiply it by four, which would have your parts cost be 25% of your ticket, or we multiply it by five, which would have your parts margin be 20% of the ticket and uh, make sure you're kind of fitting in there. Obviously on like an engine replacement or a transmission replacement, that wouldn't work. But uh, just for overall, you know, if it it seems to be a little bit low and you want to keep your parts cost of parts below that 25% mark on every ticket, what are the things that you may have missed on it? Maybe a rotate and balance alignment, and it just keeps everybody thinking to make sure that we're looking at that on every ticket. Don't you have a matrix in your computer? Um, yeah, they're in there. But, you know, you write a ticket up, and it might be parts heavy. And let's say we spend $300 on parts, and the ticket only ends up being 600 bucks. Well, your cost of parts margin, your cost of parts can be about 50%. So is there anything else that we might be able to offer to this client to have them purchase this, uh, an alignment? Tires wearing funny. Rotate, balance, and alignment. Jump your labor up a little bit to get that arch cost down a little bit. So it's just kind of consciously checking it out, making sure that the things are in line. Like I said, it doesn't work on every single ticket, but it's always something to just be conscious of. You and I could do a whole show on that. A whole show. Car count ideas at all? Car count ideas. As far as uh, I tend to uh, notice sometimes when we throw some kind of big promotion out, like we do a Christmas special, we just do a $25 gift certificate to all of our clients for uh, Christmas. And it tends to flood the doors. And sometimes, you know, making sure the shop is cleaned up and prepared for that is key. But when you got too much coming in and you feel like you're putting people off till next week or the week after is one of those things where you got to have some kind of uh, agreement or almost like a, a flow meter on your cars and be really good at scheduling and making sure that you're keeping up to date with what's going on in the shop. You sell a big job on a car and now you got eight more coming in. You know, how do you rubber band that? I tend to let them manage the car count. I wouldn't say... uh Car count's always the answer. It's really making sure that you're serving who's in front of you at that time and not rushing anybody. So it's your job to open the spigot or close the spigot. That's it. And or work with the team. We always are looking at least one week out with what work we have sold, scheduled, and on the ground because we do have a lot of recommended repairs coming back. That's one of the things that we uh, we really are doing better at is uh, getting those cars back in three, six, nine months down the road for the repairs we've already planned for that the people have now budgeted for. So they know they're going to be spending that money on their car and uh, scheduling those, having the parts on the ground really boosts our efficiency because we're not waiting for the parts to get there and then fixing the car the same day. It's almost like scheduling forward. We tend to leave at least five slots open per day. We shoot for about 10 cars a day at our big shop. And we tend to want to leave five slots open. We want to schedule five jobs that we know we're going to get done that day. And uh, I mean, you could have four cars towed in on top of that and then you're managing what's next. But always looking out front is, I think, is the biggest thing there with the car count for us. I think you just said you were out about a week, a, a year ago. How far out were you? We have cars scheduled out six, eight months. When they leave today, we're putting them out there, but we're looking a couple weeks, even a month out, calling, confirming those. If we need to bump those with our car count, that's like a rubber band. Yeah. Sean, is this maintenance that you're you're booking out or deferred work or both? Both. Both. Okay. Excellent. The client doesn't leave unless they have a future 
and even if they listen, you didn't get that front end work today, uh, but you need it. I know your time is tight. Let's book this. If something comes up, please, you know, you can cancel any time, but at least let's get this locked in. People are saying yes to this. Oh, yeah. We set a reservation for them and we really do stress the fact that we are busy. So we're going to reserve a spot for you two months from now and we're going to get you back in. Tuesdays are usually good for you. Yep. Okay, great. You know, if there's anything that changes as we come up, we will be calling you about a week out to confirm this appointment or maybe move it if need be. And those, like I said, for a week out, we call and say, hey, I know Karma, I know we got you scheduled for uh, next Tuesday, your reservation. Would it be possible to move that out till the following week? Would that be okay with you? And then we can kind of keep that flow going. It takes a lot of intention and it takes a lot of focus to make it work. And I'm not going to say it's perfect by any means because it'll drop out sometimes. And it's like, hey, we noticed at our weekly meeting, well, we didn't schedule ahead next week and now we got a pile of work to get done, you know, or somebody's out. That usually is the one that puts the wrench in the mix. We have a, our CSRs out for a day or our service advisor takes a day and, you know, we get sometimes those things happen. It's just part of managing the uh, the day-to-day, right? Okay. Big takeaway here is the word reservation. And for so many, Sean, that are working on that dental hygienist concept that you can't get out of the chair unless you have your next teeth cleaning scheduled, maybe the word that you need to take to your people, to your counter, and to your clients is let's set a future reservation. Maybe that's the word that breaks through to the customer, that breaks through to your people that we need to do this. Now, you probably have a policy that this is how we do it and why we do it. It's tough to go out and say to your people, hey, let's try this. What do you think of this? And then it just falls on its ass and nothing ever happens. In fact, someone recently said, Carm, stop telling or stop selling and start telling. Think about that. Don't sell this to your people. Tell them it's reservations. This is what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we're doing it. And watch like you can go out in May and see the, the cars that are already booked. Yeah. And I think the easiest thing to get your people to switch what they're saying, whether it be appointment or reservation, well, you got a doctor's appointment or a dinner reservation, which one do you want to go to? <laughs> All right, Sean, big takeaways. Yeah, thank you. Hey, something you tried that didn't work. Oh, God, we could go on for another hour about that. I did hire uh, that gentleman, Steve, we talked about earlier. I did uh, allow him to hire his girlfriend at the time. We were looking for somebody to back him up on the phones. We had brought a couple people through. It was during COVID times. And I said, you know what? What the hell? Let's try it. And there was a, you know, on the table. If it doesn't work, it's not going to work and she's got to go. So uh, we had her there about three months and then COVID kicked in and it gave me the perfect opportunity to kind of like slide her out. But you could see the performance of his ability to manage the day-to-day operation when he seemed to always having to be helping her with something. And I think it was her really grasp, grasping for his attention during the day, right? So it was, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, people with relationships in a business work. I tried it just to prove it myself because people say it doesn't work and it didn't work for me. And there could be a, you know, that one-off case where it would. I know there's some husbands and wives that work in businesses together and, they, and they're a fantastic team. So my brother, he's a carpenter, him and his wife, I seen him chucking trim boards out of a window and calling numbers out to her and she was cutting trim boards and throwing them back up to him. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God. My brother and his wife work very well together, but uh, some people don't. I'd have to go with the 80-20 rule on that one. And I have not found anybody at 20% to uh, to make it work. I got to talk to Victoria here. I got to talk to Victoria. All right. Uh, no, 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 no. Hey, do you own your dream car, Sean? 
So uh, my dream car would be, a, uh, I want one of those Ford Raptor R's that came out, that supercharged pickup truck. I have uh, just a regular Raptor, uh, 2018. I love it. We got some railroad tracks and some trails around here. It's a really nice truck to be taken through the woods, but it, uh, it soaks the bumps up pretty good. One thing that I was disappointed about is it doesn't fit through a normal car wash. So I got to do the hand washer or go to one of those pressure wash stations. I was like, oh, man. But now I got some more free time, so I enjoy it. So I want to open a new shop. Give me advice. Give me three important needs that I need to have. Well, first, you need a location. And I would say uh, my first spot was way in the back of an industrial complex, and that did take a little bit to get it started. You need good people ready to rock and roll and that want to be a part of it. And uh, you need good marketing to get the, to get the word out. That's it. Marketing. Oh, I don't know. What is that? Marketing. Uh, and so many open places and they don't market one ounce. Yeah. But when we opened up our new shop, we gave the first hundred oil changes away for free. They were gone in a week and two days, but it flooded the doors to the neighborhood. And we just did like the surrounding, I don't know, I think we did like two and a half miles around the shop. And uh, it was, it was really cool. And uh, we had somebody at the front counter there that was uh, doing a good job, making people happy. And it's been awesome. We've been up and up and up every month since we started. Cool. Now you said you gave a hundred away? We gave a hundred away. Did you send out a thousand? Oh yeah. We sent out, uh, there was probably 25, I think it was 2,500 mailers that went out. The first hundred people that showed up for an oil change or an oil service, it was free. Okay. Now, did you limit it to the first hundred or did you just keep taking them if they came in? I mean, people came in, we stopped the free ones at the hundred. It was seven days of the hundred of them were gone. Oh, I see. Got it. Cool. Okay. So there was a limit on it. So you had a 5% benefit from sending that out approximately. And, but you did put a time limit or a, a number on it. Interesting. We always had cookies and donuts and coffee for the, you know, up in the front just to, yeah, it was cool. And a lot of the people that were coming in all knew each other from the neighborhood. So we've become the new, new, new neighborhood favorite over there. People love what we did with the building. We cleaned the place up and we're just getting tons of compliments from, uh, from the local community. Good, good for you. Okay. Uh, last question. Ever recently fired a customer? Yeah. It was uh, actually last week was the most recent one. Gentleman came in with a, uh, a Porsche Cheyenne into our new shop for an oil change. He had an appointment to drop it off and pick it up by the end of the day. He had started calling our other shop off of the website. There's two phone numbers, one for the Kenville location and one for this location. So the guy got himself all wound up. Hey, I called your phone five times. You guys were closed. I'm looking at what we can do to maybe shift that and make sure we can put someone a message or whatnot. But the guy was came in pissed off. My truck's not done yet. I've been trying to call and uh, our uh, our manager, David, there just kind of like calmed him down. You know, we kind of reviewed the, the video of the waiting room and how the guy was acting. He's like, you just tell Sean, he just lost a new customer. As he walked out and they weren't quite done with his car. They were just about to drop the panels. He made him put it all back together and he left without getting the work done. Even though we did the inspection, test drive, all the, probably about an hour into the process. So I called the guy up and uh, I said, hey, I said, David, you know, let me know that you were upset and we didn't have your car done. I guess you were upset. You were trying to call the shop and it was closed. I uh, was it possible you may have been calling the wrong number for our other location. Sorry for any confusion. And the guy started, you know, ripping me up and down. You know, they, they said they would call me and I said, so they call you when it was done. Guy dropped it off like an hour late. And uh, I think he would just had some kind of emergency travel tr trip that he needed to go on. And uh, I just said, Hey, so I'm, I'm really sorry. He said, we couldn't please you. I said, uh, you know, from now on, you're probably better off taking this back to Porsche for your your services. And uh, and he said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take this. I'll take my other five cars someplace else too. I said, all right, well, hopefully your holiday gets better. And uh, you know, I kind of send them down the road without getting into more detail on the phone calls. It was just like, you know what? That was pissed off at life. 
I give my guys the opportunity. Hey, if somebody comes in here with an attitude like that, just have them succeed elsewhere. You know, we don't need that. Yeah, a nice little, here, here's a list of other shops in the area. Uh, thank, thank you so much. Uh, sorry we can't please you. And move on. The reality is, is that not everyone that is out there, uh, the thousands and thousands of vehicles per bay in America, we're not going to be able to have them all as really good, well-heeled, relationship-trusted clients. We're just not. You have some friends that are no longer friends because it just didn't work, right? That's right. Same with clients. Plenty of cars out there to work on. Plenty of cars. And if you got a great staff and your people are happy, you make sure that they're working with happy people. Period. End of story. I had a blast. Thank you. I mean, I think we served up so many incredible great ideas for our listener and uh, a great way for you and I to uh, start off 2024. Wow. This was great. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 